My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors uh, here at Fellowship. You know, teach alongside Rob Sweet. So, if you're a guest, we come back and forth. <coughs> Rob Lloyd, Rob Lloyd, moving between Brentwood and Franklin. I'm so encouraged this morning. Uh, I, I must say, what a treat to be led today uh, by Shirley. Uh, not many 21-year-old young women are willing to invest uh, a year of their life to come down and do a residency. Uh, to learn uh, what, it, what it means to lead the local community of faith and worship. Carl Carty, who many of you know, oversees that program. He's had two others in there. And I just think about uh, where this young lady is going to be, you know, 10 years from now uh, because of your investment in her life. Uh, it multiplies. Super grateful for that. I want to give you a bit of a preview, if I can, I asked Rob if he did this, and he did not, so I want to do this and let you know uh, what the next few weeks are going to be like. So (laughs) let me just kind of give you a a, a picture of the next few weekend services and what they will be. Of course, next week, uh, next Sunday is Easter, and we will celebrate our risen Savior. Uh, Today, uh, we are going to uh, conclude... Uh, the book of Acts. So this is our, our conclusion, something we started back in September. Uh, we'll wrap up today, and as is our uh, tradition, if you will, at Fellowship, we're going to end with handing the mic to you. And so I want you to be thinking about this. I will be handing the mic to you. And uh, Eric will have one, I'll have one, we'll pass them around, and you'll have an opportunity to say, uh, this is what I've learned having studied the book of Acts. This is how God's changed me, or uh, this is what I think God's inviting me to do as a result of this. Now, why do we do this when we finish books? And we'll do it at other times as well, because we're not here to learn about the book of Acts. We're here to be transformed by God. And God changes us through his word and by his spirit. And and, and we don't want to move past this season we've been in without acknowledging to one another This is how God has changed me. I'll have more to say about that when we get there at the end of the service. So today, Book of Acts, next week, Easter. After Easter, we're going to take four weeks and do a small series, small, so to speak, because normally we teach through books of the Bible, but we're going to take four weeks, and we're going to talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Rob and I and the team, as we reflected on what do we need, what, what, what's, where's God have us, it seemed to us and to the Spirit that we need to talk about the Spirit. Because the book of Acts could, could readily be defined as the acts of the Holy Spirit, as much as the acts of the apostles. And uh, I, asked a few, I asked a few questions of a team recently around this, and <laughs> it's not surprising to me that even... Amongst the team we were talking to, there's, there's a bit of confusion. There's a little bit of, I don't know, I'm not sure. You know, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's a he. And, and how do we relate to him? You know, we talk often about, well, Jesus guides me or whatever. You understand Jesus is, at the, is in heaven at the thro- by the throne of the Father. You understand Jesus is there. Well, what do you mean then that Jesus is in me? Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Y'all, there is no, there's no Christianity, there's no sanctification or growth in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. And yet, we kind of 
have some fuzzy edges around him, don't we? we we're not super clear. Well, we're going to clear that up in those four weeks. And then mid-May, so kids are moving out of school, we're moving into the summer, we're going to open to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to take a verse-by-verse journey through Ecclesiastes. There's no other book that uh, pulls the covers back or unmasks, if I can say this, the cultural soup we live in and how that cultural soup is not feeding us, it's robbing us of life. And it seemed to us again that this is the book we need to be in to prepare us mid-September <clears throat> to step into and begin discussing a renewed mission, renewed vision for us as a church. So that's the rhyme and reason uh, for what we're going to be doing from now through summer. Well, today, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 28, verses 16 to 31. Acts chapter 28, verses 16 to 31. I have shared this, I think, over the years But, you know, all of us have a handful of books that have shaped us outside the Bible. For me, I've probably got five books that have have literally shaped my life, my mission, my values, who I am to this very day. And one of those books was a book by Elizabeth Elliot called Shadow of the Almighty. Now, this is when I was 19 years old. I'm just beginning to understand what is the Christian life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't understand these things. Shadow of the Almighty is written about a man named Jim Elliot, tons of good work done over the years within this community even on his story and that, that of the four men whom he died with. And thank you so much, Vanessa. Um, Jim Elliott was uh, a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. Uh, he, along with four others, um, went there to take the gospel um, and, and, and gave their lives there. Jim uh, wrote journals. He didn't write any books, but he journaled. And and I journaled. And I remember early in my faith, I was taught, you know, you need to journal, try journaling, et cetera, et cetera. And I got his journals. And this book, Shout of the Almighty, is his widow's uh, kind of biography, a bit of his life. A lot of journal entries in there. And his journal entries, it's one of those things I would read it and I'd go, I want, I want to own that. Like, he wrote this. That's what I want to be, et cetera, et cetera. One journal entry I've not forgotten, I want to share with you, was this. He said, quote, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact with to decision. Let me not be a milestone on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me, end quote. And the question I asked then, I'm telling you, I remember as a 19-year-old and kind of gets away from you, but it came back to me as I engaged this text today is, has my life been a milestone? Has my life been, you know, a milestone and just people walk by it? Or has my life been a fork that people hit and because of Christ in me, they must choose one way or the other? These last few verses in Acts, I, I think they give us at least three marks, I'll say, of a crisis man or woman. Uh, three, um, three marks of someone who's literally a fork in the road of life. And I want us to consider if we are and how we might be. I'm going to give you three, three headings, if you will. I'm going to talk about three things that 
mark a fork in the road. These people, they are, number one, they're, and this, these, these won't make sense when I say it, and then I'm going to explain it through the text, okay? Verses 16 to 20, we're going to start with, they are wearing a chain. If you're a fork in the road, I assure you, you're wearing a chain. The second, verses 21 to 28, is they have one message. So you're wearing a chain, you have one message, and then the last part will be this. Uh, I didn't know how to phrase this, and I've changed it a few times, but it's 30 and 31 are, are, are saying this. They, they know what can't be stopped. Like there, there's a sense to which those who are forking the road, they, they know what's unstoppable in life. Okay, with that, let's go into the text. Uh, by way of context, and I know we've skipped a lot, we've moved uh, from chapter uh, 16 to 28, but let me, let me catch you up there. Chapter 16, this is Rob had us at the, the, the Council of Jerusalem, and uh, where, where, you know, a definitive statement around the gospel and what it is, and you don't add anything to it. Uh, from Acts 16, Paul makes his second, then his third missionary journey. Okay, it's, it's a span of It's a span of 12 years that it's going to cover all the way from 16 up to Acts 21. When that third missionary journey is over, he goes back to Jerusalem, right? He's going to go back there to report in. Let me tell you what happened on on these missionary journeys, on the third one in particular. And there, uh, he's arrested. And and he's arrested because of some things he says, and the Jews object. And, man, they're starting to kill him. And the Roman soldier pulls him out of there and says, whoa, we need to get you out of here. And Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen, and that's Acts 21. From, from Acts 21, he goes on a three-year journey to Rome, Acts 22 to 27. A three-year journey moving him to Rome. And where we pick up at the end of the story here in our text today, he is entering Rome. Follow along in your Bibles as I read first verses 16 to 20. God's word to us today. When we entered Rome, now the we is, of course, Luke. Luke's penning the book and those who travel with him. So when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. When they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Just think of that as I was forced to appeal to the Supreme Court. This is where I am now. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you. For I am wearing this chain. He had a chain on him. I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. We'll stop there. Paul's custom, we notice this in Acts, Every time he went into a new city, he would go first to the Jews. He would go first to the synagogue, okay? And now he's in chains. He can't go to the synagogues there in Rome, but he invites the synagogue leaders to come to him in his confinement. He tells them three things. First thing he says to them is, is, men, I want you to know uh, 
I'm not here because I have spoken out against Israel. That's not, that's not why I'm here at all. Second, he lets them know that, that I'm innocent. In other words, and we know in Acts, he spoke to three kings. He spoke before at least three tribunals, if you will. And every time the, 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 the verdict was, this man's not guilty. This man's not guilty. This man's not guilty. And then the third thing, and this is where I want us to, to pause for a moment, is he says, I'm in chains for the same hope that you have. I'm in this chain for the very same hope that you men have, the hope of Israel. So I really want to understand, what, well, what is the hope of Israel? What does it mean? We don't have to guess. Paul tells us what it means. He says it a number of times in the book of Acts. I want you to flip back to Acts chapter 26. I only have to go back one page, and I want, to, I, want to, I want you to look here at Acts chapter 26, 22 to 23, these two verses. Here's what, is, what is the hope of Israel? Well, he says it to Agrippa. Verse 22, speaking to Agrippa, saying, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. I want you to hold on to that. He's, he's saying, I'm not saying anything that Moses and the prophets didn't say would happen. Hold on to that because he's going to refer to it in, 28, in, in, in chapter 28 in a moment. Now, Moses and the prophets, that's the Bible. This is God's word that they had. Verse 23 that the Christ, anointed one, Messiah, was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, i.e., he will suffer and die, but by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light. You hear that word light? That's life. He would be the first to proclaim life both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So, so when we see in this back end, he says, look, I got this chain on for the same hope you guys do. There was no question about it. He knew that every Jew's hope was that there was gonna come a Messiah. That, that was their hope. And it's, it's a right hope because God promised it to them. I will send you one like Moses. I'm gonna send you one like King David and this anointed one. See, Moses and the prophets said he's going to suffer and die and he's going to rise again. Now, they didn't see that. We're going to see why in a moment. They didn't see that. But Paul says that's the hope of Israel for in the resurrection of Messiah is secured resurrection for all who believe in him. Are you guys with me? So the hope of Israel, that, that was the hope of Israel. And Paul's saying, I, I've got the same hope. And Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the risen one. So <clears throat> when I say those who are a fork in the road are wearing a chain, Paul says, I'm wearing this chain. Okay, I've got this on me. I'm bound, I'm restricted because I have hope in Messiah. And what I want us to consider is every fork in the road, if you're gonna live that way, you'll have chain too. Well, what do you mean you have a chain? Well, <clears throat> I put it in the, this, these terms. Um, it, you will have marks on your body or in your life that show following Christ has cost you. 
That's it. If you're a fork in the road, you'll, you'll, you'll have a chain on you or something that says, it's cost me to follow Jesus. Now, it may not cost you jail time. It may not cost, literally, you know, it's not going to cost you a literal chain around you. Uh, it, it may not cost you your life, which we know that for many, it costs them their very life. So what does it cost me and you to be a fork in the road? Would you consider just a, a, a few things that it could cost us? And it did cost Paul these things as well. Y'all, it, it could cost you your reputation, literally. It, it, you know, if you want to be a, follow Christ and you're therefore a fork in the road and people hit you and hit Christ in you and have to choose one or the other, that'll be, it, it'll cost you your reputation. It'll never cost you your character. No, no. But what people think of you, that, that reputation part, oh, it, it, it could cost you. They'll think ill of you, less of you, and whatever it may be. It could cost you, and probably has cost some of you, financially. What do you mean cost? Walk with Christ. Start a business. Run a business. Make a choice that reflects your values in Christ. And you may not get that contract. You may not... You may not get that promotion. You, you, you could lose income, so to speak. You lose your livelihood. It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you some relationships. Have you ever thought about that? That, that you know, you're, you're, you're following Christ because you so dearly love someone, and yet your following of Christ has cost you that relationship, at least for a season. And you've been put out, reject, it may, with family, whatever it may be. The, the, these costs are, they're big. They're huge. They're, 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 they're tremendous weight. It's a big chain you carry if you follow Christ fully, even as Paul does. So I just want to start there. People who are forks in the road are wearing a chain. They got, they, there's a cost that really is, it's not uh, imaginary. It's real. Secondly, they have only one message. Follow along in verses 21, and I'll go through 29. Well, they said to him, these Jews, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. We haven't heard anything bad about you, Paul. Verse 22, but we desire to hear from you concerning what your views are. Now note this, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So we haven't heard anything bad about you, Paul, but we don't think much. At least a lot of people around here don't think anything of this sect because it's spoken against. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about, I've got this underlined, the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. Those two things. From both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Again, he's taking the Bible as they had it, God's word, from morning till night. He's going, can you see here? Isaiah said this, and Ezekiel said this, you know, reasoning with them. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word quote from Isaiah, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand and you will keep on seeing but will not perceive. 
For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Verse 29 is in brackets in my Bible, and the reason is it's not in the earliest manuscripts. It doesn't mean it's not trustworthy. It just means it's not found in the earliest manuscripts, so we mark it off with those brackets. When he had spoken these words to the Jews, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. I want you to know this is a massive turning point in the gospel wherein Paul you know, literally says, this, I'm, I'm taking it to the Gentiles. Now, when he does that, don't, don't, make that don't, don't take that and go, well, then it's not for the Jews. Absolutely not. He's going to focus upon Gentiles. The gospel continues to go to the Jews from then to this day. But the Jews will not come to faith in the numbers that the Gentiles will. Mark Romans 11. God has not forsaken Israel. And there will come a day when there will be a great outpouring of Jews who put their trust in in Messiah, but we live in a day that the Bible calls now the times of the Gentiles. That's that's me and, and you, non-Jewish. And until the gent- times of the Gentiles is full or fulfilled, then will come this great evangel- evangelistic work through to Israel. But it should continue now. What I want us to notice here is Paul's message is really simple. It's the kingdom of God, okay, and Jesus. I want you to look again at verse, well, yet look, but I want you to look at verse 31. Go all the way down to the bottom. We'll get to it in a moment. But notice it ends with this preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God and Jesus. Y'all, these, these two are inseparable. So, so, so that's why I say it's one message. It's not, I'm going to teach the kingdom of God and I'm going to teach about Jesus. No, it's the kingdom of God and Jesus. They are absolutely inseparable. I'm not going to unpack kingdom of God. We've talked about it at, at, at other times. We'll talk about it again because it's all throughout the Bible. But let me give you a very simple, I think graspable definition. When you hear kingdom of God, think this, the rule of God. Say, kingdom of God, it is the rule of God. At its most uh, point, you know, at its sharpest point, at an individual level, the kingdom of God is when a person places their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and believes that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again, and I believe he did it for me. In that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are, the Bible says, born again, and, and, and we, within us, resides the kingdom of God. Well, Lord, how's the kingdom of God in me? Because the rule of God is now my rule in my life, or my, my, my heart, my whole being. Does that make sense? So the kingdom of God is in me. It's the rule of God in me. And Christian maturity is simply God's kingdom ruling more and more and more and more of my life. He's the king of my life, but you know what? It takes time for, it takes time for him to, that kingdom to expand and finally get to my, 
darker spots in my life, things I'm keeping from him, hit my wallet, hit my calendar, you know what I'm saying? That's called growth in Christ. So the kingdom of God, Jesus, remember he said the kingdom of God is near when he was on the planet. Why could he say that? Because he was there. And we enter the kingdom by faith in Jesus. That's how we enter the kingdom. And that was the one message of Paul. Everywhere he went. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God in Christ. This is his one message. Read his epistles and just note how he just seems to stay on track. It's like he fell into a rut early in his Christian life and he never got out. May we do the same. He's a broken record. And it, if there ever was a fork in the road, it was Paul. And so this is where I say those who are going to be a fork in the road have but one message, and it's made me reflect. And this is where we're, we're doing some reflection today around this. What would someone say is the one message of your life? Not, not the five things you've done with your life. And, you know, I'd say all this about, the, I mean, at your, at your funeral, maybe. I don't know, but right now, most importantly, what would someone say about your life? Like, did you have one message? What would you all say, you know, because you guys kind of get to know me better than I get to know you in a sense, or Rob. What, what would, I, I think about this, what, what do you guys say is my, my one message? You know, I go, is my one message the kingdom of God and Jesus? Is that my, is that my message or, or, or is my message kind of scattered? And, you know, and my life's about this and about that and about this and that. I'm telling you, a fork in the road, you have one message, there's a lot to that message, okay? But it's one message. How about you? How about us as followers of Christ? Are we on message with our life? Just one, the kingdom of God and Jesus. Okay, they're, they're, they're wearing a chain. They've, they've got, they, their life shows it's a cost. There's a cost to following Christ, a fork in the road person, has but one message. And then finally, and let me I'll unpack this, they know what can't be stopped. They, they know that there's something that can't be stopped, and they know it. Look at verse 30 and 31. It says, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Here goes the message preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. With all openness, unhindered. For two whole years, Paul's, he can't go anywhere. Y'all, what would you do if you were confined for two years? Can I tell you what I would do? I would try to get unconfined and I would complain. And I would be upset because I'm innocent. I don't belong in here. Two full years, Paul took people that came to see him. During those two years, he wrote four epistles. During that time, he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. His incarceration, it did not, as the text says, it did not hinder him at all. In fact, I want you to listen to what he says about those two years. Because we know When he wrote the Philippians, he said, let me tell you about my imprisonment. Don't turn there. I'm going to read it. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. 
Paul speaking, he's writing a letter. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, I'm in prison for two years, I don't know when I'm going to get out, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Hundreds of guards work in this system to guard all the prisoners in the kingdom, and they all know about my imprisonment. They all know about Jesus. In fact, he says, and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Oh my gosh. He didn't look at his confinement and go, this is, I'm, a, this, I'm bummed, I'm a victim, I, they shouldn't have done this. No, no. It didn't squelch this. It, it only served, in fact, for Paul to gain an audience with people he could have never gained an audience with. You know who is the, the, the you know who's Caesar at this time? It's not a good guy. His name's Nero. Paul couldn't have gone to Rome and said, I'd like an audience with Nero. But, I, you know, he's going to get an audience with Nero through being in prison. He couldn't have gone to Rome and said, you know, I, there's, I'd like to talk to the whole security force of, the C, of Caesar. He couldn't have got to them. Nobody got to them because he was here. And those who came to visit him there, you see, were changed as Paul spoke of the kingdom of God. In Jesus, the last word, the last Greek word in the book of Acts is the word in, in, in my text is unhindered. It's the Greek word akalitos. Uh, the root of that word is akalito. And the root word of unhindered is used in various places in our New Testament and in the book of Acts. Uh, akalitos here means unhindered or it's, it's, not, it's not slowed down. Uh, it's not interfered with. Akalito, the, the root of that, when it's used in other places, is translated prevent, uh, stand in the way of, forbid. Uh, we're going to keep you from. You see, that's the, the root word. Let me ask you this question. When the disciples began to move into the community and tell people about Jesus, and beyond the community, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, move out, were they, did they experience akalitos being unhindered, or did they experience akalito, where they were stopped, resisted, held, constrained? Which, they, which did they experience, being hindered or unhindered? Hindered. Can you, you see? It, they were stopped. They were, pre, pre, <laughs> they, they were stoned. Don't say that. All of that. And, and so the contrast is, is so interesting to me. If the disciples were going to experience being hindered, what is it that they know cannot be hindered, remains unhindered? What is it? I'm asking you. What, what, if, the God, if, the, if the disciples themselves, if the messengers are hindered, stopped, confined, put in jail, what continues unhindered? Say it out loud. The, do you got the gospel, the good news. It's, it can't be stopped. It, 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 it remains unhindered, you know, and that's why me and you 
Why are you and I Christians today? Because if the messengers get killed and slaughtered and jailed, it, it shouldn't get to us, but it does. Because the gospel is unstoppable, though the messengers may be stopped. I want you to turn this time in your Bibles back to Acts 20, verse 24. Acts 20, verse 24. I want you to see why this was so for Paul. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says to them as they're crying their eyes out because he's going to Jerusalem and they know he's going to get hurt. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace. Paul, you see, believed that the advance of the gospel, this is, this is the message of Paul's life, the advance of the gospel matters more to me than the advance of my life. You can kill me. My concern is not me. My concern is the advance of the gospel. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott, who I quoted early, and four of his friends were killed by spears right there on the Curare River. David, you'd have to tell me, help me pronounce this river. You'll know you've been there, but... Um, but today, that sandbar is often used by uh, the descendants of the tribe to baptize new believers. Okay, so they, what a story. See, they died by spears on the sandbar, but today the sandbar is used to baptize new believers who came to faith, even though the messengers were killed by spears. So this is the power of the gospel. Jim Elliott and, and his friends, how would we say this? I would say this, they were hindered. They were stopped. God answered his prayer and the gospel went on. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact with to decision. Let me not be a milestone on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. All right, close your Bibles. Take out this card that you all received. And if you didn't receive one, I want you to grab one. It's very important that you have one, because I'm going to ask you to fill it out now. And I'm going to give the opportunity for some of you to share. I'm going to ask the band to come out as well. We'll, sing, we'll end our time with a song. I want you to take this card, and let me remind you of, of where we've been and why we're doing this. We're doing this because uh, we always say, so what? And, and it's the application of the word that transforms us, not just the word. You know, back in September, we started this series called Plan A. And we call it plan A, you all, because the book of Acts says the church is plan A. Raise your hand if you need a card. And there's no plan B. Okay, So there's no other plan. There's only plan A. And we've tried to reinforce to you that it's, it's plan A and there's no plan B because plan A is Jesus. See, now when, you, when I say it that way, it's easier to say there's no plan B. Plan A is Jesus, and we see that through the book of Acts. It was soon after we started our series that we, uh, we launched into uh, 40 days of prayer and fasting. Do you remember that? And we, we, we said we're going to pray for 40 days, and we began with a worship night. We ended with an all-night prayer vigil that some 250 folks came. We, we, we had a sign-up where 2,500 people signed up to get a text every morning at 6 a.m., boom, and here's what we're going to pray about today, and here's how we pray. God did amazing things in that. 
Soon we were in Acts 4 and we noted, you know, the church cared for the needs of each other. And you remember the sharing board, you guys? And there are so many stories around this. I, I wish we had time to revisit them. There's some that you have where we said, hey, I've got a need. I've got an abundance. And we said, you know, the spirit will connect the abundance to the need. And boy, did he in this body, in, Frank, in, in uh, Brentwood, in amazing, amazing ways. And then we, you know, as we move through the book of Acts, we, we talked about obedience and trusting God. And you'll recall we had baptisms where they were planned and you planned them. But do you remember the service where we said, hey, and Rob said, hey, there's water, because <laughs> the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, there's water. And spontaneously, over these just two services, over 20 people came up here in their Sunday clothes, took them off, got in some gym shorts, and got in the water. Amazing, the work of God. Uh, we've talked about this rope. Does anybody remember what this rope we titled it? What do we call it? The rope of what? The rope of religion. That We all want to climb the rope of religion because I'm going to save myself. It's what I do. And remember Rob pulled that rope down? Boom. The rope is down. We don't, we don't, Jesus fulfilled the law. And then we, we all came up on stage and we partook of a table. And it reminds me of what Eric said. Why were we involved at New Hope in our community? In our community? Because the gospel's for everybody. And I had, even if you haven't trusted Christ, I had you come up here. And you may not have partaken of the Lord's table, but you came up because the table's for you. Now, here's what we want to do. I want you to take this card, and remember we started by listing names of people who don't know Christ. Our salvation is for someone else, and so I want you to put some names in there. We're just kind of going back to go, this is why we're here. My salvation is for someone else. And then I want you to finish this sentence. Because I am part of God's plan A, and there is no plan B, I will. I mean, you will what? I will, I will trust God for this. I will choose this. And then I'm going to have a mic- hand a microphone to you. And we'd like a few of you to share if you feel so led. And it's absolutely biblical that we do this. You remember Paul said, when people heard about my imprisonment, they spoke without fear. I'm telling you, when you say something about your life, someone in the room hears it and it encourages them to trust Christ without fear. So take a moment and do that now. I'm going to give you a minute, fill something out. You can begin the names, but most importantly, why don't you try to do the top part? Because I am part of God's plan A and there's no plan B, I will, and fill that in.